about uh, challenging our minds and going back to school, whatever that school might be for you. And I say there is beauty and joy and energy in making a something. And that's always been one of my philosophies of creating. It's better to make a something than doing nothing. And there's so much to gain from entering the process. That's actually what it's about. It's about entering that process, practicing, making mistakes, following your instincts, trying something new or hard, and engaging your hands and your mind in your imagination. And I I was thinking about today's topic, and I remembered that when I was a kid, I used to make things with yarn. And my grandpa was the one who taught all of us to knit. And I, as a kid, as a really little kid, thought it was my grandpa who invented knitting because he made these, what he called these knitting machines or knitting kits. And my sister and I loved these. They were Machines is the wrong word, but that's, I think that's, I have to check with my family, but I think that's what we called them. It was just wooden boards, um, maybe the size of a uh, I don't know, a clipboard, right? the length of a clipboard. It wasn't very big. And uh, they were made of wooden boards painted mint green. And they were shaped like a picnic table is the only way I can describe them. And they had an open slot in the middle. Each side of the so-called table had a single row of row of standard nails pounded evenly into the board and at the end of the boards there was this bright orange skinny wooden slat that it was used to hold down the strand of yarn and all you had to do to make a project was loop a strand of yarn over the nail on one side and then move across to the other side and make another loop and you went as far down or as the row as wide as you wanted your project and then you would go back down the board and add a second loop and then pull the yarn under the orange slat off, picked up your crochet needle, and pulled the yarn loops from the bottom up and over the top loop. At least that's what I remember. It's been a while since I've done one of those projects. <laughs> but I'm sure, that I know that my grandpa didn't invent it, but it sure felt like as a kid that he was doing something pretty darn great. And we called him grandpa, at least this is what I remember. Again, I got, I should have checked with my family, but they will tell me, I'm sure, and I'll update you, Grandpa's Magic Knitting Machines. And in a short matter of time, you could have a long rectangle of knitted yarn spilling out between the boards and you could knit and knit and knit and make a pot holder or a scarf you could make squares sew them together to make a purse and we just made projects like crazy and I never really learned to do anything fancy or how to mix yarns or do any other stitches besides the basic but I loved watching the project grow and grow and I was making a something and for me that was the easy knitting and I Loved it. And someday I have intentions to pick up knitting needles and learn the basics of the kind of of knitting with a needle. And recent years, I I think at an auction, I won some knitting lessons and I've gone to groups and I've just had the most wonderful time gathered with other fabulous ladies as everyone worked on a knitting project. And the last time I started a project was um, when I thought about making one of those bright pink pussy hats that they were doing. And it was the rage for a while. And I tried to start this project, but instead <laughs> I ended up with a bright pink rectangle to me that to me looks like a bookmark, which is a pretty good, uh, you know, thing for me to have because I, I read a lot. So it because what happened was during our knitting time, I kept talking with everyone and got lost in my stitches or I made terrible oopsies and didn't know how to correct it or got distracted by the conversation. But it was wonderful. And I thank all of those talented knitters who welcomed me into their knitting circle for those weeks. And it is my mission to make back-to-school season making the theme of those times. And so 
I am thrilled today to be able to welcome to Art Zany Radio studio, studio uh, knitter, um, let's see, I got the wrong microphone, uh, Derek Melby to Art Zany Radio, and he's going to talk about men knit and men's knitting groups that are forming through Northfield Yarn. Welcome to Art Zany Radio. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for bringing that story back to my mind of what used to happen in our family when I was a little kid. Well, he, he was making, I think there's a brand name called the Nifty Knitter. Yeah. Uh, I, that you can buy those things now, uh, frames that you can do the, the basic knitting on by, you know, wrapping it around pegs or nails or whatever it'd be. Right. And I think my kids got some when they, when they were young that were like circles. Yeah. So you could do some, some things to make... Um, tubes of right, of right, knitting yeah. and so we just had a blast and i'd forgotten about that until you brought up um the, this conversation and so i'm just thrilled to be able to have you here you are going to want to start something in northfield men knit and you're asking anyone out there who is a, a guy who knits or would like to learn to knit um or if someone knows of someone to try to encourage them to come and come together and maybe meet at northfield yarn here in our town. Yeah. Um, I've been, well, I, I, I learned to knit in high school. I taught myself to knit. I was in a, the play, the diary of Anne Frank, and we needed a, a rough looking, uh, scarf. That was a gift that Anne Frank gave to someone in the play. Okay. Um, and it needed to be look, look like it was knit from bits and pieces of yarn. I volunteered <laughs> and taught myself to knit. My mother knit, um, and I had her help me a little bit, but I, I knit a scarf. I didn't do it again until maybe seven, eight years ago. Um, decided to pick it up again. I was doing a fair bit of travel for work at that point. And of the myriad ha- hobbies that I have, I needed one that was more portable and, and I'd say more so- socially acceptable to do in public. You know, I, I do some wood carving and things like that, but people don't like you leaving wood chips all over the place <laughs> and um, don't particularly care for sharp tools and being carried on airplanes and things like that. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I needed, I decided to take up knitting again um, and to relearn, took a quick lesson, a private lesson with um, Cynthia Gilberson, who uh, runs the yarn store downtown here, um, and got a skein of yarn and some needles and knit a scarf and um, have been knitting, you know, since. Uh, I didn't realize it was a more recent thing that you've kind of uh, um, you know, up. you know, it's been seven or eight years, but I, like I say, I've, I've known how for a long, you know, a long time. I just kind of had to reteach myself and, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I've been working with fiber type things for years, uh, before that. Um, I mentioned to you earlier that I, you know, I know how to knit fishnets and I learned that from a professional fisherman, uh, oh, easily 20 or 30 years ago um i was working um at a museum and we had this fisherman who would bring in live fish it was the river boat museum in dubuque iowa this sounds like a great story yeah and (laughs) and uh he was repairing nets one day and i said hey show me how to do that and so i learned how to repair fishnet and and how to make one from scratch if you wanted to and And you know when you said you learned how to you know knit 
fishing nets. I never would have thought Iowa was the place that you learned that. I immediately went to the coasts and yeah, thought. Yeah, <laughs> commercial fishermen on the Mississippi, uh, okay. a catfish uh, fisherman. Oh, wow. So, what, a, what a great thing. Yeah. And, and is, it, is it very different than knitting uh, with, with yarn? Or, um, or What you, are the it's tools? A, it's a different tool. It, okay. It's a tool more like a, what I would call more like a shuttle that you would use in weaving. Um, they call it a needle, but it's it's different. It's uh, the one I was using was about an inch wide and about six or seven inches long, and you can wrap yarn right onto it and unfold it as you go, or in the case string, it's not yarn, uh, but and and it's a particular knot that you loop through and you loop through a different way and then pull tight, moves to the next one, and just so it's a knotting knitting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that, that's a fascinating story. And I think that's, you know, I knew that this was going to be intriguing because you introduced, introduced yourself to me in an email by saying, my name is Derek Melby and I knit in public. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought that was a really catchy way of, of talking about uh, yourself. And, and to say that, then that implies a few things about you and knitting. Um, yeah, it, uh, it, like I say, it's one of the hobbies I can take with me. And um, I find it an extremely good way to relax, and I'm more than happy to promote it. Um, so, you know, I don't know if people listening may have seen me. I've knit in Bridge Square. I've knit all summer long for the Summer Knitting Club down at Imminent uh, Brewery. I didn't know they had one. Uh, oh, Thursday fabulous. evenings. It's over now for the summer, but okay. uh, we've had a group that's been meeting there on Thursday evenings um, and sit and have a beer and knit. Um, uh, knit at various coffee shops in town. Um, you know, just here and there, you know, because it's... Uh, and do you think that people, uh, what are the responses you get? Are there, are there people who are curious? Well, when I'm with the, the knitting group, I mean, that uh, we do have people come over to the table. Um, I've had a number of people approach me directly, but it's more often because of what I carry my knitting in than the fact that share. I'm actually knitting. <laughs> um, the wood carving that I do, I, I have a hand-carved wooden box that I carry my knitting in okay <laughs> and people will come over to look at the box <laughs> and then ask me about the knitting too sure um, so that's a good then, entree yeah to start yeah. the conversation um, how big is this box uh the box is about uh, uh 16 inches long and six inches wide and um carved on all four sides and you know it's just kind of a I, I wanted to make myself something to knit and you know, to be honest, it's it's a way for um, me to kind of put my my semi-masculine stamp on on <laughs> what is culturally often considered a a women's hobby. Right, and in those groups you've been in, have there mostly been women? Uh, it, almost entirely. Mm -hmm. I do have uh, three other friends around the area: uh, one in Cannon Falls, one in Denison, and one here in town, who are men who do knit. We don't get together that often to, to knit. Um, we have, um, but we don't get together that often. And I just would like, I, you know, I know there are other men in the community who knit. There's probably some who would like to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd like to make it a welcoming environment where guys who do this, you know, are happy to get together with other guys who do this and, you know, talk shop and 
do their knitting and you know make it available so that's what prompted you to think about men knit as a possibility here in northfield you should i guess we skipped over having you introduce yourself a little bit we got right into the the knitting tell folks a little bit about yourself and uh what brought you to northfield and a little bit about your uh life and some of your other hobbies that you mentioned you do um okay well um i've lived in northfield uh for I guess it's uh, 27 years. I actually lived just south of town. Um, came here because my wife and I didn't want to raise our kids in the cities. Uh, my career was working at the air traffic control center up in Farmington. I worked on their computer systems mainly. I started out as a controller, but only did that for, for five years. Um, and we you know, built a house down here and have lived here since. We have two daughters here in town, both of whom have special needs and live uh, in group homes here in town. Um, so uh, plug for Laura Baker. They're a wonderful organization that um, runs those group homes and, and things. And um, I am a COVID retiree. <laughs> uh, when I had to start re working remotely, the nature of my job changed enough that I wasn't enjoying it. I was eligible to retire, so decided to. But now I'm working part-time at uh, Just Food Co-op, stocking produce, and absolutely enjoy that. Let's uh, give a plug for them, too, because they're a pretty great place in our yeah, town as well. They, I haven't heard that term, uh, COVID retiree. But do you hear it in your circles? Um, somewhat. I mean, people who just... Uh, <clears throat> took the opportunity to say, okay, uh, either moving into semi-retirement or deciding that they were done because it's like uh, if they missed the office culture or didn't like the isolation or whatever it be and thought, well, I can retire and I'm home anyway, so um, I'm going to. And there's probably a segment of our society that did that mm -hmm. yeah no it's it certainly changed because it helped people to uh think about you know what what do they value what you know what what's important and kind of what do you like to do and i think that's prompted a lot of people to you know rethink how they spend their free time and and to do new hobbies and to you know think about different ways of experiencing i i had to concentrate on not picking up new ones <laughs> Um, because I have, or maybe re rechecking, refreshing old ones. But yeah, being able to spend more time doing the ones that uh, that I uh, doing the hobbies that I do, and uh, the two predominant now are pretty much my the wood carving that I do and the knitting. But I do have a variety of other things that I dabble in here and there too. So, so tell us about your knitting. What kind of knitting do you like to do? Um, you know, I'm one of those people who's always looking for a new challenge and like to learn new things. Um, so, uh, you know, the first few years after kind of coming back to knitting, I was doing, uh, pretty basic knitting, starting with scarves and, and, uh, I would do, uh, uh prayer shawls for mm -hmm. the church, uh, which, you know, it's basically rectangles and straight knitting and, and, um, and things. But in the last couple of years, I decided I needed to start, really branching out and and uh so i d dove in the deep end and decided <laughs> to learn three new techniques at once uh with a pair of norwegian style mittens that are lined 
Ooh, that sounds so like a really difficult round. I had to learn to do reductions and letting stitches go and picking up to make a thumb and all of that, plus to do what they call stranded color work to make the colored pattern. And um, it was a learning. Yeah, that's uh, where my brain kind of gets yeah, like, steep, wow, this is this is a lot. A steep learning curve, but, um, you know, they turned out great. And I have this pair of mittens that's like three layers wool thick. <laughs> uh, They're extremely warm and really nice. And, uh, you know, um, I went from that to uh, I think the project I did after that was probably a pair of fingerless mitts for mm-hmm. my wife. Um, and, you know, and then it was like, well, what else can I try? And, um, and I'm also doing a, with leftover yarn from the finger to Smith's, I thought I'd make her a, a matching cowl to wear around her neck, um, and decided I needed to figure out how to do what's called a Mobius, which twists on itself so that you have a continuous edge. You can just keep going and keep going. You never have to turn the, the work. Oh. Um, is that a tool that you use to make that happen, or no, is it a technique? Uh, you, you use a, a what's known as a cable needle. It's a needle on either end connected by a cable. Okay, I've seen and those. And then you have to cast it on in a particular way so that it develops the twist in it, and there's no end. It starts, <laughs> and you just keep knitting. Um, it uh, it was a little complicated getting it started, but uh, I'm, now I'm getting pretty ready to have that project be done. I want to move on to the next thing. Yeah, because it does sound like one where you could just keep going. Uh, yeah, um, you know, I'm getting near the end of the yarn, so uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll finish it off soon. And and but um, I probably have half a dozen things that I've got saved off on my what's known as a Ravelry account, which uh, <laughs> is a website, um, are patterns that um, that it's like, okay, pick the next one and move on to the next thing. And it's all, always looking for a new, something new I can learn um, because knitting has got an endless, endless variety of techniques and shapes and projects. And, um, you know, it, it's... It's got almost infinite possibilities as to what you can do with it. Yes, and you can just go to Northfield Yarn and look in at the, some of the examples they have and get inspired. You know, there's just, as you said, the combinations of colors and textures and patterns and yeah. just anything you can imagine you can make. Yeah. And somebody might know how to teach you to do that. <laughs> you know, and if you can't find someone to teach you, it's amazing what you can learn from YouTube. <laughs> oh, that's a true statement. But you would like to have people join you in person. Oh, definitely. And so if folks are interested in, you know, either encouraging someone in their life to move towards the Men Knit Group or you are a man who likes to knit, you can check out the Northfield Yarn website, which is northfieldyarn.com. And what they're trying to do right now is just have people sign up for the newsletter um, and look forward to future announcements about a men's knitting group as as you collect uh, people interested and kind of get get gather enough to get started. Right. Um, we right now. I mean, there are some flyers up around town uh, advertising this, um, and we're directing people to sign up for the newsletter at the at the yarn store because that's where we will announce the wares and whens and and. Um, 
we'll put some flyers up too once we know when that's going to take place. But you know, my hope is that more than one could form. Mm. Um, because not everybody's going to be able to, to maybe do the same time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and there could be crossover between them and, and uh, things. Um, I'd just like to see that it opened up to, uh, you know, men knitting and, and it not being an unusual thing. I mean, when I knit in a coffee shop, it's been a number of times I've had people come over to me and, and um, you know, Boy, I've I've never seen a man knitting before, <laughs> or what are you making? And and you know, um, so it, it is a it is an interesting thing that right now is is unusual. Yeah, and that, I don't and that, want it to be. I and exactly, it. like it, it's just, there's no reason that it needs to be. And you know, there are some stereotypes. You know, as you mentioned, if you think of knitting, you don't. That's not the place that your mind goes. Yeah, you you think of the the old lady sitting in a chair with her cats and her cup of tea and, and <laughs> knitting, um, and, and you know knitting's got a long, long, rich history that involves men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can visit about that. Both of us kind of looked around to see what some of the history was, and uh, the, the original knitting uh, came. Pro- we, we there's suspicion that it came from those fishnets that that they were transferred into different materials then. But uh, the original culture of knitting was, in fact, a men's culture. Yeah, uh, I know it goes back a minimum of a thousand years, um, and uh, entered entered Europe probably from the Middle East um, and in the early early days of knitting you know it was probably practiced by you know men and women early on but um, once knitted goods kind of became popular amongst the, the, the wealthy and the royalty and, and things and they were luxury goods at that point um, Knitting was take, took an, took it was taken over by men because guilds formed, mm. and for a, a fairly long period of time, it was it was men who became master knitters, and you would apprentice, mm. and your apprenticeship you could get to being a journeyman, but before you could be a master, it could take you know six or seven years of of study. So this is just like if you were a welder or, a, right. you know, a, a, yeah. any kind of maker, furniture maker. or you, you studied under a master, and at some point, you know, you became a journeyman. And a journeyman meant that you went on a journey, and you probably traveled to other countries to learn other techniques, to learn how things were done in other places and pick up more things. And then you would have to come back to your guild and go through a significant examination before they would, you know, kind of bless you and say, you are now a master knitter. Um, And, you know, the secrets were kept in the guild. And that was to keep the quality and everything up as well as the price. So it was a profession as well. It was a profession, yes. Um, And, you know, it it was to control it so that they could make more money. Yeah, you told me an interesting thing just before we came on the air about the socks. I'd love to hear that story yeah, I, again. <laughs> I read someplace that I think the year was 1663 that England exported 240,000 pairs of socks. Of knit socks, hand-knit. Hand-knit socks <laughs> to 
Europe. And every one of those pairs of socks would have been knit by men as a business to make money. Now, what killed it was knitting machines mm. and the Industrial Revolution. And when it became that it was taken over by machines, um, you no longer really could make money hand knitting because you couldn't turn out things fast enough. The volume. Um, so people stopped doing it, and it was women in the homes, particularly poorer homes, that kept it alive because they could knit to provide clothing and things for their families. But in poorer areas, um, I know, uh, you know, and, and I know the one country I know of particularly is in Scotland, everybody learned to knit because they needed clothing. And, and they had a lot of wool. <laughs> and they had a lot of wool. So it was the whole family knew how to knit. Mm-hmm. And they would knit in the evenings or in cold weather or whatever. That was what they would do is they'd be making socks and and hats and scarves and whatever else they needed from the wool that they had so that they could. And so it continued. But as time went on and goods became cheaper, et cetera, et cetera, it you know, knitting almost died as an art. It was kept alive by by women, as as a hobby and as a skill that you could bring bring to a marriage or whatever. Um, and and you know, it's been in the last you know probably thirty years that knitting has continued to be on the rise in terms of a, a as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that by that time, men were largely out of it. And they haven't been part of the resurgence. It's been largely women who've kept the art alive. That's a that's a fascinating cycle of you know how it's developed and changed and shifted, and you know it's kind of exciting to think that we might be back in that place where men are interested in knitting and uh, want to to be a part of it. Because one of the things um, I don't know, tell us about your experiences with knitting. But um, you mentioned that that you know they've done studies that there are health benefits and quality of life benefits to doing knitting. Well, and, and that's part of the why I want to do the uh, form the the groups. Um, one of the things is, is that knitting can be very solitary if you want it to be, mm-hmm. but it is also a wonderful social activity, a wonderful way to meet people. I, you know, often, like I say, if I'm knitting someplace, we'll have people come up to to talk to me about it. Um, mostly women, but I do occasionally get other men who come mm-hmm. up to talk to me about it. Um, so it can be a wonderfully social thing. I mean, getting together with knitting groups and comparing what you're doing and, and learning from each other and getting ideas and helping people figure out their mistakes and, <laughs> you know, on and on. Um, but it's also uh, just the motions um, uh, of doing it. It's extremely relaxing. Um, and they have done studies. There are scientific studies that show that the benefits of knitting are very much the same sort of benefits you would get if you do meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, stress reduction uh, lowers your blood pressure. Um, you get a sense of accomplishment of, of creating things. Um, they've actually proven that it can help stave off memory loss. Um, because you're engaging your mind. 
True. I suppose. I mean, it is about patterns and there's learning. You're probably making new uh, connections in your mind. Yeah. Um, So depending upon the it's it's also it's accessible to anyone um, can be done anywhere. Um, And it, it just is, like I say, a calming, relaxing, engaging experience and it can be to any level i mean there are things i would not knit sitting with a group um or if i was i'd be like don't talk to me don't bother me um because they're complicated and you have to pay attention to what you're doing but a lot of knitters will have multiple projects going on at the same time so that oh I'm getting together with a group I'm taking this one with me because this doesn't take quite as much concentration and I can carry on a conversation and knit at the same Mm -hmm. time I can watch that football game uh, and and knit at the same time Um, but of course if I'm going to do something really complicated that I have to pay very close attention to what I'm doing because of types of stitches or counting or whatever it be then then you know then I'm going to do that when when I can sit more quietly yeah and I wonder I was thinking about the difference between taking a class on knitting and then being in a group of knitters you know there's uh what has your experience been with with the difference between those because people might be more familiar with the idea of I walk in and I take a class because the class is about let's make a scarf and you want a scarf and so you have an end product and a goal and you're all working together on that. But then if you're in a group, it's a it's a little different dynamic. So if you could talk a little about that, I think that would be um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I have not actually taken a formal class where I've been in a class oh. with other people all doing the same thing. Um, I'm probably going to be doing that at some point. There's techniques where I think uh, it would really benefit me to um, do that under that kind of structured setting. Um, But uh, as far as knitting with groups, you know, um, I've had, in fact, just last night I had uh, a co-worker from the co-op say something to me about, well, if you're going to do this knitting group, it would, would it be, you know, disruptive if somebody came and knew nothing and wanted to learn it i'm like not at all because um you know most knitters are willing to help other knitters uh not everybody i mean not everybody's good or patient or a good teacher or whatever but most knitters are more than happy to take a look and you know and learning the basics of knitting is not difficult um you know and it's sort of like get you a couple of needles, we'll get you a skein of yarn, you're going to make a scarf, let's go. <laughs> and here's here's a method to cast on. There's multiples, but we'll show you this one. I think you that's know. the tricky part. I never met, I haven't, and, and so having someone around to help, to say, okay, this is what I did, does that look right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and somebody to look at it and, and um, you know, part, part of it is, it's like, okay, relax a little bit. You're, you're getting too tight. Just, just, <laughs> That's true. What you're bringing into it goes into the work you put out. Right. Um, but, you know, to but to be able to uh, get somebody and then answer that question, it's like, okay, well, I've gotten to the end of my row. Now what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, okay, we'll turn it over. <laughs> just start doing the same thing again. And you just need to, and here's how you can hold your hands, and you can modify that to 
you know, there's no right way. You know, it's like, this is what I do. If that doesn't work for you, maybe try it this way. Maybe try it that way, you know, because I've seen other people's hands and the way they hold things. And um, the way I knit and the way my wife knit, uh, we have very different kind of techniques. Um, but we both knit. And you have success, right? Yeah. I, I, that, yeah, it just occurred to me that you know, how people hold a pencil or learn to write, you know, it's the same tools, but... There's a lot of different ways, and the handwriting never looks the same right. when when you, you finish. And so maybe there's some parallels there. Right. And it's a, an expression. <clears throat> Your creativity comes through. Exactly. And, uh, you know, people say, well, then how can you follow a pattern and everybody? And it's like, you do what's called mid-gauge. And the pattern tells you that this is your gauge. You need to, in this stitch... You need to have X number of stitches and X number of rows will give you, say, a four by four inch square. Okay, so gauge would just be the count? Yeah, kind okay. of the, the count and things. And you say, okay, I've knit this and mine came out to be three by three. Well, then maybe the way you knit, instead of using a size five needle, you need to knit with a size six needle. Try doing that gauge with a size six. Okay. And you might get your gauge. So the pattern is there, but you 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 modify it to to suit you, you know how you knit. Um, I know that when I cast on, I cast on tight. I I just know that. So when I cast on, I often cast on with a size needle a, a needle size larger. And then when I start to knit, I go to a smaller needle size. Okay, so as you learn as you go, yeah. what, what works for your... Right, you know, but, you know, the first scarf I knit, it's not perfect, but it's warm. <laughs> and it still works, and you made it. Yes. Folks, I want to remind you, this is Art Zany Radio for the Imagination. I'm Paula Granquist. I'm here with Derek Melby, and we're talking about Men Knit. It's a group that's going to hopefully form at the Northfield Yarn here in downtown Northfield. And so you can go to their website, northfieldyarn.com, sign up their newsletter, and they'll give you the announcement when the men's knitting group is starting. Or better yet, come down to the shop and let them know you're interested and, you know, maybe maybe they can help direct you. And I also want to mention, because they have some really fabulous classes starting in September, which might be a way for you to kind of see what might be possible if you're thinking about knitting. Uh, they have online classes that include things. There's a school colors hat, K-A-L. I think that must be either a brand or a style. It's a knit along. It's a knit along. Okay. And that's the Carlton edition that starts on 913. This one I like tips for sweater success on 919 and double knitting with designer uh, Jesse Ostemiller, I think that is. That starts on the 24th. They also have classes in the actual knit, knitting store, Northfield Yarn. Beginning crochet starts uh, next week, 9-7. This is an important one, fixing mistakes. Because I'm going to guess everyone who has ever knit knows that that happens. And I, I, like to, I like to sort of take the Bob Ross, you know, there are no mistakes. It's just sort of happy accidents, right? Takes you down another path. Oh, that's what, make that something intended. But, it, of course, sometimes you need to know, how do I make a thumb or how do I do the heel on a, on a sock? Um, Two-color brioche cowl is starting on 918. And this one is particularly interesting. 
Learn to Knit in a Single Session. Cynthia Gilbertson is teaching that, and that starts on Sunday, September 18th from 2.30 to 4.30. And this is exciting because it cost is $25, but it includes supplies for class activities. So you don't need to show up with anything. You don't need to know a thing. And she's going to teach you. All you need is the willingness to learn. They're going to supply yarn, needles, and instruction, patient instruction. Two hours later, you'll know everything you need to know to get started. They'll cover casting on, the knit stitch, binding off, and weaving in ends. So that sounds, to me, that feels advanced. But I know that Cynthia is an excellent teacher, and she will be able to guide you through that process. And it sounds really exciting to me. So um, it assumes no previous knitting experience. And so I hope that people do, in fact, sign up for that. You can go online, again, Northfield Yarn, to get that started. And that might be where somebody wants to go if they feel like, I can't come to a group if I you know, don't know a thing. It would be an excellent place to start. Yeah, and so I, I think there's so many opportunities, but there are barriers. And people, uh, you know, do you think, um, in, in your experiences, you notice that there aren't a lot of men who are knitting. And so what do you think some of those barriers might be that you'd like to try and break down? Um, you know, I think the barriers are strictly cultural. Um, it, it just has a reputation that it's it's a women's hobby. Um, and like I say, given the history, I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a hobby that's extremely accessible. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things I, I often will will relay as a joke, uh, almost um, when I've had men talk to me, and I said, "Well, you know, knitting's not a women's activity." It's a post-apocalyptic life skill. <laughs> um, you know, it is a skill. It's a, you, you wouldn't believe how much people appreciate knit gifts, especially when they come from a man. Mm. Um, you know, they might expect to get something from, you know, my wife that's knit because they know they should, But... Um, it, you know, it's a great way to do gifts. It's a great way to provide things for yourself and for your home. Um, yeah, I can tell you that when I had my kids, that the beautiful baby blankets that came that were hand knitted, I could, you know, those we still hold on to those and treasure those, right? Yes. And so, you know, it's just getting past that cultural taboo that says this is a women's activity because, um, I mean. Uh, maybe it's you know I've I, I've tied knots since I was a kid. Mm. Um, you know I have studied knots because I'm just fascinated by them, um, and can do things like the the tied knot um, paracord bracelets in multiple different ways, and you know, and knitting is nothing. I mean, a sweater is nothing more than an extremely complicated knot. Um, I hadn't thought of that you know, that way so before. So if you want to, you want to liken it to something. You know, if you were a Boy Scout and had to learn your knots, well, knitting is just learning how to do extremely, extremely complex knots. That's a good way of, of approaching it, right? Yeah. And making it accessible. And who, you know, and you mentioned too that the the group is open to you know all kinds of crafts. So if somebody might be a crocheter or, yeah. you know, have an embroidery or a cross stitch. Uh, yeah, I was certainly certainly not biased uh, because I see all of those as related uh, related things. And I do know of men who cross stitch. I do know of men who do embroidery and those sorts of things. And crochet is very. 
uh, much related. Um, I personally don't do what would be called a regular crochet. Um, I, I know the absolute basics of it, but I've never actually crocheted anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do a different form that's called Tunisian crochet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't so know what that is. So the only thing I make doing Tunisian crochet, it's kind of a cross between crochet and knitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the best way I can describe it. But the only thing I've made is um, I make dish rags that we use at home. <laughs> and when we need new dish rags, I go to the yarn store and I get a roll, uh, a skein of cotton yarn, and I get out my Tunisian crochet needle and I make us dish rags. And they're the best dish rags that we have. They're so it has a practical sense. It has you know the health benefits. It has you know just the stress relief. There's. Oh. There's so much that, and and I think too, that idea of men being together is is part of what you're trying to help make it accessible and maybe less intimidating for men to get to start. Yeah, because I think for most men to go to like some of the other uh, knitting groups that are at the yarn store, um, which I have attended on occasion, and like the summer knitting club that we had, you know, we were down there every week. the husband of one of the knitters would show up and have a beer and then leave. (laughs) Um, But I was sitting there with a group of women knitting. Um, And generally, week to week, the only guy there. Um, That might be intimidating for some other men to to be the only man in the group. Mm -hmm. But to be able to come in and say, I can do this and uh, sit with another group of men who are all doing this, so that people don't look at it as there's that there's that eyeball who knits there, <laughs> um, you know. I think would 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 lower the barrier uh, some. Yeah, and it's. I think it's a really fabulous idea, and you know, it's it's uh, fascinating to think of the possibilities and uh, you know what the knitting world might be shifting because I you know I have seen other men knitting into you know making uh different tools or patterns or projects available that might appeal to men yeah um right now uh you know a lot of the marketing is still towards women um but uh there are beginnings of of you know trying to market the actual knitting to men there's plenty of patterns of things you can knit for men um, but it is beginning to shift a little bit where they're starting to, to target men as knitters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like there aren't some out there. I mean, there's some famous people out there who are men who knit uh, that, that if you start looking for it, you'll find. Uh, That's true. You can find uh, YouTubes or uh, blogs or Instagram. I don't know, all that stuff out there. You know, uh, <laughs> The, the three that I know right off the top of my head would be Christopher Walken, oh, the sure. actor, Ryan Gosling, the actor, and Russell Crowe, the actor. All are knitters. Perfect. And so, right, there's, there are no barriers, only ones that you've uh, in, internalized or invented or, you know, somehow uh, yeah. thought and came to believe. Right. And right. so I think this is a really exciting development, uh, I, and I'm really fascinated to learn what will happen, and, and maybe we can have a group of you on later to tell us what developed and what happened once you started this men knit group. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping we'll be able to get uh, a group, and, you know, whether it'll be weekly or biweekly or something, that, uh, that they'll just get together and be able to share what they're doing and help each other and 
you know, make it accessible and, and, and give people the opportunity to create something with their hands and, uh, you know, participate in a, in a hobby that they can do anywhere, take with them. If you travel for work, great thing because you can just throw it in your bag and take it with you. And if you're sitting in a hotel room someplace, you can be doing something. Sure, I would imagine if you had a stressful day, uh, doing whatever it is, that, that having that to come home or to the hotel with, I guess, <laughs> you, you could find a way to just, you know, like you said, just relax and relieve some stress and to make, make a something, which I think is such an important uh, mindset for all of us to be thinking about. You don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to decide that you're going to sell it and, you know, or even give it to anybody. Maybe you just make it just to do it and then you unravel the whole thing and <laughs> start again. <laughs> Been there. Yeah. <laughs> that happens with knitting. It's a good teacher for uh, learning how to make mistakes and then recover. Yeah. Uh, there's so much. There's so much to this story. And I feel like uh, I've learned a lot. And I, I'm just thrilled that you poked your head into the studio and, and asked about this and let us uh, share your story. Well, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, Derek Melby has been my guest today on Arts Any Radio. Again, northfieldyarn.com. Is the place you want to go, just to sign up for their newsletter so that you don't miss out. And all anyone listening, you know, who wants to encourage somebody to come, you, you know, we want to try and get this group going. I think it'd be great for the community. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you being here. I know Derek's got to take off and head off to work, so I'm going to let you step out so that you can do that. I'm going to wrap up the show, and I appreciate you being here. And I right. will see you at the co-op. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Folks, I've got a couple things I want to share with you about uh, events happening. I'm going to go through those quickly here and uh, let you know about uh, things happening in our community these upcoming weeks and get you uh, started on that. One is the Saturday and Sunday, September 10th and 11th. From 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. both days, the Riverfront Fine Arts Festival is happening. This is my favorite part of the uh, just defeated Jesse James days here in Northfield. It happens along the river, and it's, it's all kinds of fine art from regional artists. It's all along the Cannon River behind the uh, Division Street Northfield Arts Guild. There are going to be paintings, drawings, jewelry, fiberglass, clay, literary art, wood, metal, craft food items and more and they're going to host all these artists the list of artists are on the website at northfieldartsguild.org under arts visual arts and then rfaf the riverfront fine arts festival so i encourage you to do that i also know that they need some volunteers so there are volunteer opportunities for you to help out and i look at this as a way of our community hosting these artists and trying to let them have a great experience in our town and there are many multiple ways that you can help you can help with traffic flow as they're loading up and getting their their booths and tents set up you can uh help with artist hospitality which is just you know uh, maybe giving someone a break or uh, giving someone uh, a snack or some water so that's an easy way to help out but the art skill does need help for that there's an open art table that you can host I've done each of those and they're all really fun to do I love the open art because you get all kinds of great kids and families who want to just do something a little different as they're here for defeated Jesse James days and it's 
amazingly fun, great uh, displays of imagination happening there. The Guild has a booth that uh, they host just to let people know about what's happening at the Guild. And of course, cleanup is an option too. And if you're interested in that, you can go to signupgenius.com. And probably the easiest way to do it is to search for a sign-up with the Arts Guild Executive Director uh, Andrea's email. It's andrea at northfieldartsguild.org, and that's the easy way to find it. Or stop on by to the Northfield Arts Guild, and you will uh, be able to um, help them out. They do need some volunteers for that. It doesn't happen without folks' help, and so that's next weekend, 10th and 11th, 10 to 5. Uh, great, great experience uh, for the defeated Jesse James days. Do not forget the Riverfront Fine Arts Festival. Also want to mention Chad Johnson and the Minnesota Tees, or the MNTs as they're called. They're going to be at the Paradise Center for the Arts on Saturday, this September 24th at 7.30. Um, this is a great show. It's the Chad Johnson and the Minnesota Transplants are a powerful four-piece band uh, based out of Northfield and includes Chad Johnson on lead vocals, rhythm guitar, and harmonica. He was born and raised in Minnesota, therefore the Minnesota part of the group. And then the transplants include Andy Janes, originally from Colorado, Makai or Kai Katudio, and originally from Hawaii, and Jinti Dutta, originally from India. So Chad Johnson is uh, a great artist. I've had him on the show before. I really enjoy He's one of the hardest working artists. And I found this little tune. I'm going to play a little sample for you here just for the last couple minutes of the show. This is called Minnesota Nice. This is to get us all excited about Defeated Jesse James Days. It's such a cool song. So I'm going to uh, pop that up and let you listen to a little bit. This is Chad Johnson. They do have a version that includes uh, all of the MNTs, but I like this one. Uh, if you can pull up the visuals on that, it's it's a really great showcase of Northfield. So here's Chad Johnson, Minnesota Nice.
folks, that's Chad Johnson on Art Sandy Radio with his tune, Minnesota Nice. It's such a great song, and maybe gets a little excited about what's around the corner for us here in Northfield. And uh, you can check that out. Uh, Chad Johnson is the artist, and the Ch- as I mentioned, they're going to be at the Paradise Center for the Art, Chad Johnson and the MNTs. That is on... Saturday, September 24th at 7.30. Folks, this is Art Zaney. I hope you are uh, getting ready to make something this week and that you always remember to add a little bit of Art Zaney to your life. And, of course, in the meantime, until next time, enjoy your imagination. You've been listening to Art Zaney. Radio for the Imagination with your host, Paula Granquist. Art Zany is brought to you each week by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts in Faribault. The Paradise Center for the Arts is a vibrant cultural and artistic gathering spot in historic downtown Faribault. The Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. Regular events spotlight some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces, in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507-332-7372. 